Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Power Reclamation Show, where we explore the mysteries, heartbreaks, and resiliency of the human experience. Together, we'll focus on rewilding ourselves through raising consciousness and dismantling domestication. This is a collective journey of challenging hierarchical systems of power over, as well as our own personal conditioning and limiting belief systems. This show is about embodying the power of love, presence, and our own inner authority. Today, I want to focus on a topic that's at the heart of my power reclamation work. Actually, it's really, it's at the heart of my entire being. There's nothing I wish for more than creating a world of integrated leadership, love, and care for the whole. Months ago, I reread Charles Eisenstein's book called The Most Beautiful World Our Heart Knows is Possible. And once again, it totally rocked me. And it's the invitation in this book is to explore how we can shift from a world of separation into one of unification. And what I love about the book is that he presents it in a really grounded, in a grounded way. You know, this can become such an idealistic depiction of how we create this new world and we just need to come to oneness. And, and yet sometimes that can have a spiritual bypass component to it. And I just really appreciate the way that he frames the journey, the inquiry, really. And, and like the first time I read it, it, it just had, it just shot this arrow of hope and despair into my heart. And it, and it left me really chewing on some deep, intense emotions. So at the time I was actually on a solo retreat at a hot springs here in Colorado. And I had just set aside time. I really wanted to catch my breath. I wanted to integrate some kind of challenging things that I had just been through. And I really just, all I wanted to do was not think. I wanted to just float in the water and I wanted to gaze at the stars and eat good food. And, and yet I found myself basically on my knees, just feeling this incredible heartbreak about what's happening in the world. And, you know, in a pool of tears and waves of fear, I just felt this unresolvable longing for a new world and a world where we no longer collectively run our systems, our operating systems are no longer run by this primal fear and reactivity that has incredibly intense repercussions of forcing people into poverty, sex trafficking, or, you know, standing by as the innocent are irresponsibly imprisoned because of the color of their skin. A world where we could step back together and find a way through the polarizing wars that are ensuing, you know, for example, over the COVID mask mandates or vaccinations or gender orientation, the color of one's skin, and the list goes on and on. And, and But what I returned to after two days of deep, heart-wrenching despair is that I'm here to learn how to love and that it's a practice. And so I'm talking about love that comes through as acceptance, allowing, and welcoming everything especially those aspects of life that literally break my heart, that those that I don't understand, that which I have no control over, and, and those things that threaten the innocent. And, and not from a place of spiritual bypassing, but from first seeing what it's like to sit with all these emotions that stir so deeply in me and find a place of allowing, allowing myself to feel it all. And from here and from this place of once I've listened and I felt, I usually find some kind of authentic action 
that's move that's moving me. You know, that may or may not take place externally. It could be something internally of an action towards looking at a belief system that I'm holding. So a key practice of love really has been my devotion to embracing the shadows, my shadows specifically. But of course, I, I love studying the shadows of clients that I work with. Together we look at those, but I really love studying the shadows that are playing out in the collective because they are also gateways for me to look at my own shadow. And this is really how I'm learning how to access inner peace and integration and states of clarity that allow me to know what the next right, right action is for me. So I'm really speaking about this space of that's so beautifully articulated by Thich Nhat Hanh. He's a peacemaker and Buddhist monk who recently passed away in his 90s, probably about two months ago, or maybe it was less than that. Um, he says it best in this poem called, entitled actually, um, Call Me by My True Name. And so I want to read that now and then we'll get into the topic today. Don't say that I will depart tomorrow. Even today, I'm still arriving. Look deeply. Every second, I'm arriving. To be a bud on a spring branch. To be a tiny bird with still fragile wings. Learning to sing in my new nest. To be a caterpillar in the heart of a flower. To be a jewel hiding itself in a stone. I still arrive in order to laugh and to cry, to fear and to hope. The rhythm of my heart is the birth and death of all that is alive. I am the mayfly metamorphosing on the surface of the river. And I am the bird that swoops down to swallow the mayfly. I'm the frog swimming happily in the clear water of a pond. And I'm the grass snake that silently feeds itself on the frog. I am the child in Uganda, all skin and bones, my legs as thin as bamboo sticks, and the arms merchant selling deadly weapons to Uganda. I am the 12 year old girl, refugee on a small boat who throws herself into the ocean after being raped by a sea pirate. I am the pirate, my heart not yet capable of seeing and loving. I am a member of the Politburo with plenty of power in my hands. And I am the man who has to pay his debt of blood to my people dying slowly in a forced labor camp. My joy is like spring, so warm it makes flowers bloom all over the earth. My pain is like a river of tears, so vast it fills the four oceans. Please call me by my true names so I can hear all my cries and all my laughter at once, so I can see that my joy and pain are one. Please call me by my true names so I can wake up and so the door of my heart can be left open, the door of compassion. 
I just love the poem. It's, it speaks for itself. And, you know, I, I, I feel that if I can't meet my own shadows and see myself as all those parts of humanity, then I will just continue the world of polarizing within myself and outside of myself. And that brings me to the topic of today's episode, which is on shadow work and integral leadership. What is it and why is it important to have an investigation around this collective movement of power reclamation through embracing our shadows? So I define integral leadership really as a synthesis of two evolutionary movements. The first is the authentic leadership movement. And one way to define the transformational leadership journey of authentic leadership is, is through the acquired skills of learning how to expand our self-awareness and our ability to own our impact. And that's both knowing what our gifts are and also knowing the impacts that our behavior, our unconscious habits have in causing conflict for others and for ourselves. Another key component is learning how to take responsibility for our personal states of activation, our triggers, you know, really like what conditions cause reactivity in us, which leads to learning how to map our triggers and our reactive tendencies so that we can work with them directly and consciously rather than, as my friend would say, having them come out from underneath our armpit. So in a way, like having them come out sideways without even our awareness and another authentic leadership key element is learning how to regulate our nervous system and really investigating what is our self-care practice to do so and how do we bring compassion for these states of reactivity. Another, taking ownership for our direct experience rather than the impulse and protective mechanisms of blaming others for our own disowned feelings. Another is developing a mindfulness practice so that we can manage the complexity of living and operating in a chaotic world with a system that's wired to mitigate threat as soon as possible, whatever kind of threat that might be, that can be physical or psychological. And another is practicing compassion, cultivating compassion for ourselves and others, cultivating the art of reflective listening. How, how present are we when people are sharing about their experience? How quick are we to go into waiting to have our turn to talk, or even before we've actually let the person know we've heard them, it's so easy. And I see myself do this where I jump in and start sharing my perspective before I actually have acknowledged that I've heard theirs. And this is more important, you know, from an authentic leadership perspective, this is most important when we're talking in an emotional conversation, when the, it's no longer about logistics but it's come into a conversation where there's emotions involved. It's, it's really an artistry to learn how to, especially if we're triggered, allow ourselves to reflect back what we've heard before we go into our own material. And another is, is learning how to traverse the unknown. You know, it's the one greatest threat that we come upon as humans. And how do we do that with greater resiliency, curiosity, and even trust? So yeah, the first of the integral leadership and the synthesis of these two movements is the authentic leadership. So integrating how to become a more authentic leader. And then the second component is really learning how to integrate 
the shadow. So it's shadow work, which really refers to the hero's journey of befriending our own shadow and our own projections in order to reclaim more of our wholeness. And I love looking at this through the lens of Carl Jung's hero's journey map, which I'm going to share more about later, the shadow work itself. Um, but I want to, I want to continue. So, so I'm framing integral leadership is really the synthesis of these two bodies of work. And most leaders and change agents that I've worked with for the last couple of decades, they've been so devoted to the, the art of leading with authenticity and vulnerability. And I think Brene Brown has, has been such a forerunner of bringing this material forward for so many people to be able to embrace it in a way that is, is completely disarming. And, you know, each one that I'm working with has been examining the principles of power over, and that's really how to create systems starting with, within ourselves of inclusivity, curiosity, and empathy towards the whole, while also befriending our personal blind spots and taking responsibility for when we operate through the principles of power over. And power over is more our fear-based reactive states, you know, when we're maybe moving towards domination. And that can be really covert. You know, domination can come as, as guilt-tripping or punishing someone or withdrawing. Um, you know, I don't often use that. I don't know why that's coming through right now, but, you know, I wouldn't typically say domination is withdraw, but, but when we know we have an emotional connection with someone and we know that that's a way to hurt them, even if we're not conscious, that is a way to dominate the space. Um, so learning how we are operating from power over, and that's what I've been witnessing with so many of the leaders that I'm working with. So in other words, each one of us is leading with care for the whole system by interrupting our reactivity, our operating systems that are driven by threat and befriending our protective behaviors. And I really firmly believe that until we understand the link between the behaviors that we're employing, that, that we're innocently employing, I should say, to make sure that we have power, that we feel safe, that we feel connected, that we feel a sense of belonging and that we feel our worthiness, which can sometimes look like approval seeking. It's a lot harder to befriend these if we haven't been able to link that we do these things in order to get our needs met. And so as we welcome these messy behaviors, it's really about embracing our wholeness. It's about embracing the integration of all that we are, which includes, much to our own dismay at times, the parts of us that are reactive. So I think that interrupting our fear-based expressions, especially, you know, those of control or people-pleasing or criticizing and judging others, criticizing ourselves, you know, the inner critic is, is a wild card that comes into play of creating a lot of reactivity, but often in the direction towards shame. Whatever the flavor is, it's the most radical redefinition of powerful leadership to be able to actually turn our attention towards them and own them as parts of ourselves. So what if I told you that becoming an authentic leadership isn't really the end game, that there's more? That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about integral leadership from this perspective of moving from this incredible 
exploration that's been happening for decades now around authentic leadership and bringing all of that with us to evolve into the next developmental stage of integral leadership. So through the various cycles of transformation and leadership development, we naturally integrate and we descend to the next level of our learning, of our growth, which means we're taking everything that we've learned with us. And integral leadership is really a model of inclusivity and expansion. It's not hierarchical and it, there isn't really an end game. It's really, it's an ongoing journey that we'll do for the rest of our life. And we spiral through these stages of development over and over again, collecting exile parts of ourselves, which means we're actually reclaiming our wisdom along the way. And as a leader, I think that, you know, including everything that we learn along the, the authentic leadership path, and then using that to further raise our consciousness and expand our own hearts and our own compassion towards ourselves is really the groundwork to be able to move into exploring the shadow work, which is a, a key component of integral leadership. But I'm thinking before I go further into shadow, what I want to do is, is just give a, a basic framework for five developmental phases of leadership. And I think it's really helpful just to look at the phases, not as a hierarchical system, but more as a spiral. And so depending on the conditions and the material that is presenting itself, or even the people that we're in relationship with in any given moment, we might be operating from one mindset and then flip to the other. Although I will also say simultaneously it, it also does have a component of once we access certain strengths in one of the phases, the developmental phases, we, we are leveraged into operating more frequently from the next phase. So I'll break it down this way. And, and I, I really love the way that there's an organization called the leadership circle and they have built this out. Um, and I actually will make sure that their website is in the notes in case you want to explore this further, but their assertion of these developmental stages, they found through synthesizing countless leadership methodologies. Um, and so I want to walk through the way that they have presented them and, you know, add my own flavor as, as I go. But first I want to say that these phases really, they are key contributors to how we became wired. And, and literally when I say wired, I'm going to talk a bit today about our operating system. And we have an internal operating system that is wired before we even ha have the capability of speaking. The wiring begins while we're in the womb, which is a whole other conversation and a whole other episode that I would have so much fun talking about. And I do have an ebook about this, you know, so if you find yourself wanting to know more before I have an episode on that, feel free to email me. Um, but ultimately our operating system basically becomes the template for how we perceive reality. And that includes how we perceive ourselves, the self images that we feel like we need to uphold to be the person that we think we should be, as well as how we perceive others and how we perceive their behaviors, how we perceive the world. You know, is the world safe or is it an unsafe place to be? And a lot of our belief systems about the world will automatically fire based on this early imprint. So if we have an experience, we could be with a friend and have the exact same experience. And one of us will have a threat response and the other person will feel 
hardly dinged by it. And part of that is just the way that we've been wired, how our operating system retrieves information, well, actually takes in information and retrieves the internal response of how to respond. And, you know, this process is what establishes the unique strategies that we each employ to mitigate the threats in our lives and to reestablish safety. So in, in essence, our operating system, to make it really simple, is the template that has been formed for how we create safety and minimize threat. And there's behaviors and beliefs and ideations that drive how we do that. And it's not just about physical safety, although it is. It's also about emotional and psychological safety. So that's the overview here. And I think I want to just do a quick overview of the five phases. So the first one is egocentric. And this really represents the stage in our earliest development. Um, there's different models that say different things. You know, I have a model that talks about how this begins actually in the womb and really establishes the primary template up until the age of eight. There's other models that say, you know, starting around eight is when this particular model is formed. So I would say, um, you know, it doesn't really even matter, to be honest. I mean, we could, we could say from, from in utero until um, a young adulthood, we are being informed by life and it is stitching together the imprint and the template of how we're, we perceive reality. But I will say that during this phase, we are learning how to become identified with us as a separate self. We are learning what it means to be a separate self. And that includes how do we get our needs met? Because at the end of the day, we are primal animals with a need to survive. And that means if we don't get our needs met, we don't survive. And so we'll see more of that, this in the psychological realm, actually, than the physical. Although, you know, depending on, as, as we know, poverty and, and hunger and starvation is a huge phenomenon in, in the planet. And so in those places, it's just about physical need. But today I'm going to be talking a lot more about the psychological part. During this time of egocentric developmental phase, we're less aware of noticing other people's needs. You know, it's just not on our radar. And Robert Keegan and Lisa Leahy, they're two leadership experts from Harvard, they call this stage self-sovereign because at this stage, our needs are primary. And we basically relate to others through this lens of how are you going to get my, how are you going to meet my needs? What are you going to do for me? And it's innocent. It's, you know, really just that, that initial wiring. And we haven't yet developed the skill to make others needs equally important to ours. And the caveat to that, I would say, because I'm one of these people is unless we were conditioned early to become hyper vigilant and hyper aware of other people's needs in order to create our own sense of safety and connection, then during this egocentric, egocentric stage, we are getting our needs met by attuning to other people's needs. So it's, we're still doing the same thing. It just plays out a little different. It may not be in the traditional lens quoted as selfish or, you know, self-centered It's but in, in the, in the, and at the end of the day, it actually is serving the same need. It is tending to oneself, even though it looks like caretaking others. Okay. So that's the first phase, egocentric. 
Second phase is reactive. And in this phase, we build our identity based on how well we live up to the expectations of others and our culture. In other words, we define ourselves from the outside in rather from the inside out. And Stephen Covey calls this stage of external orientation our dependent phase. As a result, we define ourselves in one of three ways. We define through our relationships, our intellect, and our ability to perform and achieve. So rather than knowing the depths of who we are from the inside out, we are seeking to know ourselves by the perception that others have of us through our ability to create relationships, you know, socially to be accepted, our intellect, our ability to um, traverse the world and, and be able to use that skill set, and then our ability to perform and achieve, whether that's through athletics or through, again, the intellect or through other means. Those are the three ways that we learn how to identify our sense of self. And during this phase, we learn which strategies will suit our conditions best. So when we feel threatened by the basic need of feeling safe or connected or empowered or even respected and accepted, if we feel threatened in those realms, we will determine which strategy is needed to ensure that we get that need met. Well, how to reclaim a feeling of, of being accepted. Well, we might do that by being a high achiever because we're praised for that. So the three main categories of reactive leadership strategies are complying. So that's, you know, often giving ourselves away to others in order to create the connection. So people pleasing is a, is a common one that falls in that category. Controlling that's, you know, kind of demanding and making things happen with our agenda and our way in order to maintain safety or protecting, which sometimes can look like withdrawing in order to create safety or, you know, can also show up as a, a kind of arrogance or superiority. In the, and I, you, I, I like these terms, which is why I'm using them here. Um, leadership Circle uses them in their 360 degree leadership assessment. And that's a tool that I've used with leaders as well. And I think these three reactive types are, um, are really powerful as kind of gateways to explore. And in the tool itself, they're broken down into specific behaviors that represent each one. And, you know, actually I'll, I'll put a, I'll, I'll put a link to the video where they break it down in the show notes in case it interests you. Um, so that's, that's reactive. So now we're going to move to the third, which is creative. And in this phase is marked by two internal operating system changes. The first one is that we become aware of our conditioned reality, which is our beliefs, our behaviors, the strategies that I just named to get our needs met. We start to become aware of, oh, I see. Yeah. In order to ensure my, my sense of power, I charm people. You know, I make sure that people really like me. You know, it could be a number of different things, but we become more aware of what those conditioned behaviors and beliefs are and the assumptions and the behaviors that are, that we, um, express as a result of those beliefs. And the second one is that we explore a more authentic version of ourselves. And this is where that authentic leadership movement that I referred to earlier has been so instrumental 
and essential for, you know, I would say leadership evolution, but I'm really talking about human evolution is what happens when we start to shift from that outer game, meaning our sense of self is based on other people's perception of us to our sense of self being based on something deeper within ourselves. And so it's, it's when we, we take that brave act of following our intuition, even when others outside of us are trying to logically tell us we shouldn't feel that way. So another example of how a common condition belief can be formed is, you know, if you were praised for being independent, but scolded for being needy as a child, then you may have learned to become self-reliant in order to maintain respect or belonging or connection. And, and often for some, I think for myself at times, I wanted to avoid the humiliation of feeling needy, like actually feeling needy became a threat for me. And so I have developed strategies to not have to feel that. And part of my work as a creative moving through the creative leadership cycle has been really working with how that shows up for me. And, you know, a result of that conditioning is, is that you can see the world through the belief that it's all up to me. I have to do it all. No one has my back. It's not safe to ask for help, or I have to appear to know how to do everything, or no one does it as well as I do. So I just have to do it all. And that can have like a martyr quality too. So really investigating these conditioned beliefs, you know, that's starting to, to happen more deeply in the creative phase. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, I do have an ebook that I wrote that, that outlines nine of the most common adaptive strategies that we draw on in order to get our needs met. And so self-reliance is one of them that I just described, but there's eight others. And so again, I'll have that link in the show notes. Okay. So we've gone through the first three. Now we're going to hit the fourth one, which is what our, what our conversation is going to be about today, which is integral leadership. And a key marker at this stage of development is learning to lead through chaos and complexity with less reactivity and, and more capacity to navigate paradoxes and double binds. So a key trait that emerges in this phase is the expansion into a more robust capacity as a system thinker and as someone who wants to protect and, and really track and nurture the whole system. So an integral leader focuses on the vision for the system that they operate in, which starts to develop in that creative phase. And that can be, you know, family system, business system, a relationship is a system, a community that we're part of, um, our relationship to our body, our relationship to ourself is a system because our body has expressions of emotions and thoughts and sensations and physical pain. But it also expands in this capacity, the vision expands, I should say, to include the well-being of the of the systems that hold us. So in other words, the systems that are in our subsystem. So for example, the impact of our actions on the environment or the other systems that influence young minds. You know, I think of um, as parent people that I coach who are parents. I mean, I oh my goodness, the the process that they go through to to make sure that they're really um, helping the minds of the, of their children become aware of how advertising and different campaigns, whether it's political or, or otherwise, particularly advertising though, and, um, particularly social media at this point is influencing our behavior and our sense of 
our sense of self, really. I know there's been such a rise in suicide rate of teens and, um, and they're attributing it to the pain of isolation and feeling unliked on social media or comparing themselves to other and feeling less than. So there, there's a way in which the integral leader is really looking at the larger system and at what role they want to play in interrupting how those one, how the systems are influencing in a negative way, but also, you know, that's kind of the internal lens. The external is more of how am I potentially interrupting or interfering with the larger system based on my consumeristic behaviors or the way that I'm viewing the world. And so at this stage of integral leadership, many will refer to this as servant leadership. And this is when the leader becomes a servant of the whole, truly here to serve the whole. Uh, and one of the ways that I have found myself doing this, I mean, it's subtle, but it's, you know, kind of brings a point around how small this can be is that I've chosen to invest all of my IRA funds in stocks that do not have a negative impact on the environment. So I, I think that my portfolio sometimes yields less monetary gain than others who might be investing in the oil industry. But, but at the end of the day, it honors my love for the natural world and all the creatures that need clean water and they need clean soil and air to survive. So I, I make, you know, the, the person who manages my money is very aware that I am an advocate for where I place my money. Okay. So I'm just going to touch on the last developmental phase. Uh, and then we're going to dive into the meat of today. So unitive leadership is the final fifth phase. And this mindset points to the human evolutionary progression through high states of consciousness and awareness. This represents the sacred mind-body-spirit union, which can be translated as all is one, or all is well, or I am you and you are me. Um, and I pulled a quote actually from the Mastering Leadership book that I referred to earlier on, on this topic, and it's called or, or not, it's called, they say, I should say, now I'm looking at a note. So I have to get myself out of closing my eyes. Um, research and experience strong, strongly suggests that spiritual practices such as mindfulness, meditation, and contemplative prayer have the power to accelerate our development through these five phases of leadership. In fact, unitive mind seldom, if ever develops without a long-term spiritual practice, end of quote. So I think, you know, I think my point here is that at this phase, we orient to ourselves through integrating our mind, our body, and our spirit as one. And we realize that we're not just the body and we're not just the mind, but we are the spirit and the divine nature in action. And so in a way, oneness is no longer a conceptual ideation at this phase. And in these states that we can touch into, it's a lived experience. There's a lived experience that we are indeed one. Okay. So those are the five phases. And today I want to focus on the three stages of development that are, um, the middle section. So reactive, creative, and integral and some other language for these levels of mind uh, development are, we could see reactive. Some might call this victim consciousness. We could see creative as co-creator consciousness. So like I am co-creating with life. And then the integral can be seen as all is well, all is welcome. I am 
I am the one. I am united with oneness consciousness. I can embrace everything. Okay, so I want to break them down. The shift that happens from reactive to creative leadership is where I want to begin. And during that transformative process of shifting, you know, from reactivity to creative leadership, we're learning to shift from a hyper focus on fixing problems. And we still fix problems. There's no doubt about that. But we expand the hyper focus on fixing and noticing everything that's broken because that's a reactive state of mind. It's, that's a way of trying to create safety. I see myself do that all the time. It's so fascinating to see that my impulse towards noticing what's broken doesn't mean that there's something wrong with me. It just means that that is how I learned to create safety growing up is if I can figure out what's not working, maybe I can get in front of it and avoid the conflict or avoid the pain of disconnection. So this is the phase where we pivot our focus from the outer game towards the inner game. And I actually have a, another ebook on this topic. If this shift is interesting to you and you want to hear more, just, just, you can email me about that. And I, um, I'm happy to share that. So in the creative phase, we turn our attention towards ourselves as a sacred system. And we're apprenticing to studying our own reactivity and our conditioned behaviors, because this ultimately is how we're going to initiate the process of integration and welcoming rather than reactive tendencies of sweeping things under the rug denial or defending against and building stone walls to protect ourselves or even spilling ourselves all over others to try to please them and and to create some kind of safety through compliance. We're actually studying all of that and welcoming the fact that we do it because it's very easy to feel shame about these parts of ourselves. And if we have a cultivated practice around knowing that every single one of us does this, first of all, our our own version, that it's meeting ourselves here as like the normal outcome of being human is that we do this. And so the more that we can bring compassion towards that simple fact, and then learn how to welcome these parts, even when they make our skin crawl, that's, that is a huge component of this phase. And so I really feel like we become empowered when we slow things down. And that's why I often talk about rest. And I mean, rest, like drawing our attention inward and slowing down to feel ourselves. And, you know, meditation is a fantastic way to do this. Journaling is a way to do this. Spending time in nature is a way to do this. Talking with someone who holds a lot of beautiful space where we can actually process and think out loud or asks questions and challenges our beliefs. That's another way to do this. But ultimately suspending our habitual and reactive states is how we make room for a new choice. And so really what, what it requires is studying what are our tendencies? Like when do we blame other people or withdraw or people please or criticize or you know punish others when we feel powerless or when we feel helpless? when we're trying to find safety or regrain, regain ground again. So suspending habit allows us the freedom to behave with more authenticity and, and to express inspiring leadership. Because most of us know that being in and around others who are trying to dominate us or employing tactics of power over or driving through fear-based leadership, it's, it's just not that compelling. So although... 
I could say that it is compelling for parts of us that still believe that we, that that's how the world operates, that we have to give our power to someone else that we, um, or we need to take power from others to be safe. So it's kind of like, that's a whole other conversation that could, that I could have a joy talking about. So, but I'll stay on track here. Um, so as creative leaders, we're basically accepting that we're wired to protect and we're wired to connect. And that means that we're going to feel completely confused sometimes because we will be reactive. It's part of our survival wiring, but we might react and push people away when actually what we're really wanting is connection. So it's a, it's really a double bind to live with both needs sometimes simultaneously. And another component that we really work with in this phase is befriending and meeting these exiled and protective parts of ourselves. You know, the parts that fear being wrong or unworthy or falling short, those are the parts that need our attention the most. And then the other is learning to embrace feedback, feedback about how we impact others. And that's both the gifts that we bring and the inspiration that we bring to others, as well as the impact that causes disconnection or causes people to feel, let's say, not heard, not listened to. So learning to embrace feedback is a key component as in the creative leadership phase. And it's pretty gritty. This whole journey is pretty gritty, actually, because I think taking feedback is one of the harder things. It's one of the primary threat responses. And I think it takes a warrior's heart to receive feedback, especially, uh, underline this, especially when it touches our core wounds. And our core wounds are those really deeply entrenched beliefs about ourselves, whether it's you know, beliefs that we underneath everything were a fraud or that we're not good enough or that we're too much. Those, those beliefs that get imprinted so early, but in this phase, we just do it. We just do it anyway. We learn, we learn how to receive the feedback and, and learn how to be with ourselves when the shame comes up. And I think for myself, it's like pinning each data point on our personal transformation map so that we can further investigate what are the strategies that cause those outcomes or impacts that we're not wanting to create? And what, how do we, what are we doing to protect ourselves from the loss of control or the loss of connection or, or the feelings of inadequacy? So basically in summary, the shift from reactive to creative really is basically learning how to not bypass our reactivity. And instead we're learning how to own and manage those states of fear and anxiety that drive us to operate in these reactive and somewhat outdated ways. Okay. So let's see what I want to transition to next is, uh, the leap from authentic, or we could call it creative leadership that, that phase we just talked about into integral. And so during this next developmental stage, this creative paradigm expands and it transforms into an integral leadership phase. And the agency and authenticity gained through the creative stage of leadership is now rooting and in, in deeper ways. And there's new ways of being that are arising. And at some point, and this is like, while well, we're still in the creative phase, a leader begins to basically bust through the seams. They, they know that there's the next level. They don't really know what it is, but they know that something there, something's missing. There's something more they're wanting. And, and oftentimes at this phase, these leaders are firing on all cylinders. 
they really, they, they're, they're in their sweet spot and they know they're still working the reactivity because of course we're always going to be doing that, but they know there's more and they feel some sense of complacency. There's like a hunger. So the key to the integral, integral mindset is that by awakening our authentic visionary self in the creative phase, now in this phase, we discover that we are also the opposite of all those things. Uh, and, and here's a little excerpt again from the uh, Mastering Leadership book. And I'm not sure if I said their names earlier, but Bob Anderson and Bill Adams uh, are the ones that wrote this book, Mastering Leadership. And it's, it's connected with the organization I referred to either, earlier, um, the Leadership Circle. Okay, so here's what they say. Uh, quote, here the inner self-definition shifts from, I am a whole and complete self that coordinates with other whole and complete selves to the realization that now I am not whole and complete, but rather I am many selves. I am an ecology of selves that are often in discord. And so you've probably noticed, end of quote, I should say, um, you've probably noticed this in yourself. Like you, you have two parts that are comp- that have completely different needs simultaneously. It's crazy making, right? Like you know, one part of you longs to leave something old and stagnant in order to leap into something new, but you don't know where you're going and you don't know how you're going to get there. Maybe this is a job where you just feel burned out and you believe there's a new possibility for you, but you just don't know how to get there. And there's a longing. And then another part of you is like throwing all the flags on the field saying, do not do that. You can't leave a job without a new job. And what if it's not better over there? What if, what if you're about to get the promotion that you've been waiting for here? You know, it basically the other part is, is, is just trying to hold us back from taking risk. And that risk could look like failing. It could look like people judging or rejecting us as a result of our choices. Or, or maybe you recognize a need to assert your, uh, to assert yourself for a raise, but you don't ask because you fear being too much or you fear that if they say no, that you won't actually be as valued as you thought you were. And that feels unbearable to feel that sense of rejection. And another version can be steamrolling your needs for fear of not getting what you want. And so inadvertently, you're leaving a wake of conflict and confusion behind you and others because you're just, you're just hell bent on getting the thing you want the way you want it, even if it hurts other people inadvertently. So two parts, two different needs, one conflicted behavior. That can be crazy making, but it happens all the time. And it's through our ability to identify and meet these internal double binds that I I think really shifts our perception and our belief. It's like, I need to pick one thing. What's wrong with me? Why do I keep changing my mind? That is a voice that I have had to really work with an inner critic voice when I have two parts operating at the same time, I can feel crazy. Cause in one moment I'll kind of align with one part. I'll be like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And then I feel really convicted around it. And then like 10 minutes later or a day later, I have all this self doubt. I'm like, Oh wait, I don't think I should do that because blah, 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 blah. that is what this is like inside. It's speedy like that. And it's overwhelming to actually feel that level of vacillation. And I know for myself now that if I'm vacillating, it means that I have conflicting needs and it's the best way through isn't a logical exploration about, should I do this or should I not do this thing? But more so what are the parts of me that are 
feeling threatened right now. Uh, so this is a, this is a profound type of self-honoring, you know, really shifting us into this mindset of integral leadership is, is looking at the parts. And I think it's important to note that just like creative and reactive mindsets, it's an evolutionary spiral. So this isn't hierarchical. It's basically in any given moment, based on the conditions that we're confronting, are there parts that we're exiling? Are there banished parts of ourselves that we're needing to welcome back or that we're needing to grow? And so rather the opposite can occur. So with each expanding mindset, we leave nothing behind. We include and integrate those messy parts. We bring them home into our hearts, into the wholeness of who we are, which, which can look like owning our biases and owning our judgments without trying to defend them. Instead, we, we get feedback and we investigate and dig into them further to explore, like, what are the needs and fears that live behind these biases, that live behind these judgments? You know, for example, if a part of us has learned to micromanage others to maintain a sense of control, which is just really a way of ensuring safety and avoiding helplessness, during the integral phase, we learn to own this part of ourselves. And we work with it directly. So it's still going to happen because it's wired, but we're no longer living identified with it as the primary way that the only way that we know how to manage our anxiety. And so in a way we're bringing that internal conflict externally so that we can befriend it and work with it and find new ways to respond. And, you know, another would be the people pleaser on us who says yes externally to others when secretly inside we're saying no. So yeah, I'll do that thing, but we don't do it. And then when we get held accountable, we feel shame. That's another pattern. And if we can see those parts and we can see the way that that's playing out, we can integrate them and, and learn to bravely assert our need and actually say no when we want to say no and face the fear of people withdrawing or criticizing us for taking care of ourselves. It's, it's a really powerful practice to start to embrace these parts at this level. So again, it's no longer about banishing or hiding because deep down we feel shame. It's about befriending and welcoming them. Nothing is left behind. Nothing is stuffed in a corner. In fact, everything is revealed. It's basically welcomed and brought into our compassionate hearts. So as integral leaders, we cultivate the ability to focus on what serves the whole rather than our dazzling skills or our impressive achievements or, you know, our ability to maintain control by covertly getting what we want through charming or even steamrolling or guilt trips. In other words, integral leadership is the shift from protecting and denying our egocentric fragility and learning to compassionately embrace and befriend this part of us. All the ways our separate self has learned to behave to cover up for feeling either too much or not enough or inadequate or fraud or, or superior or inferior. At the end of the day, I think the best way to articulate the integral leadership mind is that it has been priming and building itself to hold complexity. The hallmarks of embracing complexity is, is reflected through our ability to hold contradictions, 
you know, those double binds I was just talking about to hold conflict and polarizing perspectives without swiftly, you know, actively unilaterally making a decision to stop the confusion or to stop the discomfort of the polarization. It's also our ability to, to notice where we're in denial or where we're oversimplifying something or, um, or minimizing, minimizing something in ourselves or other people. And I think that, you know, if we find ourselves resorting to quick fixes to manage our anxiety, I think the powerful invitation is actually, hold on. I wonder if I could expand a little bit more in this moment to hold the complexity of my discomfort and the uncertainty about ultimately what is, what is trying to get revealed here. So the integral mind looks for merits in all the perspectives and it works towards harmony and really synthesizing amidst the contradictions and amidst the uncertainty. Uh, think, I think what I want to share is just a couple of key hallmarks just to, to take this in even further of what an integral or evolutionary leader looks like. And so it's someone who knows how to manage their reactivity. So taking personal ownership for our defensiveness, it's kind of a repeat here, our defensive strategies and our reactivity actually. And another is embracing polarities. So embracing the extreme differences and trying to cultivate a sense of curiosity and patience. Because sometimes this means, it reminds, it means um, not knowing. It's like staying in the not knowing until more information is revealed. Another is owning our stories. I haven't mentioned much about that today, but you know, we create these narratives about people and why they're doing what they're doing and why we do what we do and who's right and who's wrong. And I think that investigating these narratives is a key to seeing what where we're making assumptions. And often these repeating relational conflicts and tensions um, are places where we can investigate stories and look at what are what is our role? What's our role in creating what's what's happening with another person and looking at the beliefs and the contributions that we play in creating and reinforcing stories about other people. Another is exposing our personal double binds. So you know, back to some of the examples I used earlier, exposing those places where we have two or more needs that are in contradiction and feel like they're conflicting and causing us to behave and, and often communicate in very contradictory ways. So there's a, there's a quality of being able to expose and own that, which kind of sinks into another component, which is allowing ambiguity. And so being with the ambiguity and uncertainty without reacting or prematurely forcing change or even collapsing into passivity by sweeping things onto the rug. How can we learn to live with ambiguity and, and ask the questions that will help create more clarity, but not in a swift, anxious way, in a, a more reflective, contemplative way. And then another key one, which is our final piece today, is just embracing our shadows, which is an ongoing self-reflective practice of exposing how do we protect and how do we project disowned parts of ourselves onto others? And so building on this key gateway of transforming into integral leadership through embracing our shadows is just the final part I want to talk about today. Um, remember earlier when I spoke about double binds and the competing needs, I think the realization 
that we are made up of different parts with conflicting needs is not an indicator of our brokenness, but I think it can often feel that way. It can often feel so messy and it can feel so broken when we have different parts having different needs. And somehow internally, I think even without conscious thought, we feel like we just need to pick one to get out of the discomfort. And so I think the message I want to bring through today is it's actually quite contrary. You know, I think integral leadership is, and, and in transforming our, our shadows is really, it's an integral part of being human. Part of the human design is that we have shadows. We have aspects of ourselves that we, one, either can't see or that we've exiled to keep ourselves safe. And so there's nothing wrong with having shadows. In fact, at a certain point, it can become very enlivening to start exposing where they are because each time we befriend a shadow, we actually bring more energy and life force back into our system because having a shadow is like having a, a, a leak in the bucket of our existence. It's like energy drains because we're trying on a subconscious level to make sure that no one sees this part of ourselves or that we never have to feel this part of ourselves. So this is where the next trademark, you know, really of embracing leadership comes in is, is shadow work. And it's the intentional focus on the parts of ourselves that we've ignored or the parts of ourselves that we haven't developed because shadow doesn't mean dark as in bad, dark. It means dark as an unseen, neglected, ignored. And, and these parts really need a place to come home to. And what I've noticed is that through developing self-compassion towards my own messiness and my own incompleteness, I'm naturally learning, not even learning, I'm just naturally engaging with others and the larger systems with increasing empathy and with more acceptance. And this includes the situations um, that I, you know, that I don't, that I don't like, but there's a way of, even if I can't fully accept it, I can at least see why people or systems are operating the way that they are. Because when we really break it all down, it's usually, it's from a place of fear, a place of, um, feeling powerless. And so if I can, if I can see that sometimes I can be more accepting of someone else's behavior, you know, for example, I can see why corporations continue to harvest palm oil for us because for capital gain, even while they're causing death and destruction to the orangutans and other creatures whose homes they're destroying, because those who are in charge of those decisions, they're operating from reactive leadership. They don't realize that the impact that they're having on the whole system. In fact, they are in that state of mind that we talked about earlier of adolescent state that happens in the egocentric development, which is the stage one. They are in that, in that state of how do I get my needs met? How do I make more money in this case? How do I gain more capital? You know, another example is, is when politicians blame and defile one another in order to prove superiority or to maintain a competitive edge or to build the narrative that's going to sway more people in their direction. You know, it again is an expression of the reactive mind. And it's, it's like my needs are the most important thing. Even if it costs you your life or your reputation or your well-being, I don't care. 
I just need to get my need met. That's really the undercurrent. So shadows represent these behaviors or limiting beliefs that cast a blindness upon our ability to embrace and refine the skills that I named earlier. And so what happens, what needs to happen for us to live into these attributes? Well, I'm repeating myself, but basically it's learning to embrace the shadows and the traps of our conditioned mind that we've become identified with. And these aspects, you know, particularly the blind spots are often the places in us that we loathe and reject in others, the places that remain unintegrated within ourselves. Like this view of shadow can feel like a loaded exploration because in a way it's really, we're asking ourselves to look at how do we dominate? Where are we greedy? How do we express violence and abuse towards ourselves, towards others, towards the natural world? And what about those who betray us in our most vulnerable moments? How do we work with the material that rises in us? And how can that action of others' betrayal be eliciting a a shadow within us. Maybe it's a belief that we deserve to be punished or that we deserve to um, basically be left behind because we're not good enough. Whatever that might be, usually someone else's betrayal of us is an invitation to look at where we're holding a belief that they're embodying for us about ourselves. So it's very transformative and rich terrain, the shadow work, and it's incredibly messy. It's incredibly confronting and it can be really scary. You know, we'll call forth all the ways that we defend, protect, and control how we want others to see us and how we want to perceive the world in order to keep our stories, to keep our narratives basically going. So it's really for the bravest hearts of our human tribe and it's powerful beyond measure. And having these shadows is inherently part of our human experience. You know, it reinforces our sense of separation from the whole. And each time we reject or judge or crucify others, it's often because we've not accepted something about their, how their behavior appears within us. Or at a minimum, we haven't found a way to see how their pain and suffering causes them to believe that their behavior is the only option that they have. So in closing, you know, really, I think the summary that I want to bring in here is that to recreate balance in the world, we need leaders who are accepting that they have blind spots and not just that, but that they're devoted, that they've devoted themselves to the art of befriending each exiled part as a means to become a more integrated and whole leader. And if this is you, I want to support you to become the most powerful and present leader that you can be. And you may, you may, you may be able to tell by now that, that I'm, I'm devoted to this work. I am devoted to walking side by side with brave and inspiring people who know that they're here to make a difference beyond the bottom line, beyond the idealizations of who they think they should be. And I really believe that the leaders who are most influential in supporting the planetary changes that are needed at this time are the brave ones who are willing to dig deep and get messy. Because until we befriend our shadows, 
we remain operating from outdated patterns of fear and polarizing judgments towards ourselves, but also towards each other. We need a new paradigm of leadership. And I hope that in listening today, that something sparked in you about wanting to reclaim more of this power within you and become a larger part of this movement of learning how to lead from the inside out. Because I believe that most leaders and change agents that I have worked with for the last few decades, by immersing themselves into this art that we've been talking about today of leading with authenticity, leading with vulnerability, tracking where they slip into patterns of power over versus power with, this is the gateway. Finding our shadows is the gateway. And leading with care for the whole system by interrupting our habitual protective patterns, whether that's unilateral control or domination, this is how we create a new world. And this collective wave of transformation, it's, it's, it's been fun and inspiring to surf with my clients. And actually, it's drastically transformed their corporate cultures and their orientations, both towards themselves and towards the inevitable and crunchy relationship dynamics that often present themselves in the systems that they're leading. And if you want to learn more about integral leadership, you know, the previous two episodes actually are focused on this very topic. And they're the two guests that I've, that I have on the show are Rick Kuiper and Rob Sinclair. And the first episode that we talk a little bit about what is integral leadership and what is shadow leadership. And then the second one, we, Rob and I kind of interview Rickst, who designed a shadow program for an executive leader who was ready to move from being in creative leadership to developing more of, of this person's integral leadership. And so in addition to listening to those two episodes, I have also created space in my practice this year to serve more leaders who are called to this movement. And that may f- be leaders who are feeling stuck. You know, maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe this is someone that you know, where you just, you don't know exactly how to reveal the shadows that keep repeating patterns that you're drained and tired from. You don't know exactly how you might be holding yourself back or, or not able to step into this next level of leadership influence, whether that's within your own life at home or in the cultures that you lead, if you're a business owner or in the relationships as a coach or a therapist or a healer. So before we end, I just want to share just a few words about my power reclamation and leadership emergence. Uh, and if, if, if this feels appealing to you, again, you can learn more by watching some of the videos on my YouTube channel, or, and I will have a blog article that details more of the immersion as well. Um, but essentially, I'm basically calling in those of you who are, are hungry for this movement, those of you who are business leaders or entrepreneurs or coach therapists or healers, people who are here devoted to creating highly conscious cultures, teams, and that can be family, businesses, and the relationships that you're in. And you want to take your leadership influence to the next level. So in the immersions, we'll be exploring what are your unique gifts and how are you leveraging them fully? But we'll also be looking at what are your leadership shadows? And I'll stand by your side as you and I co-design a process where we can collectively identify the places where you have exiled parts that need befriending, 
parts that want to come home so that you can lead with more integrated power and presence. You will probably be looking at where do you feel stuck? What are the dynamics in your life, both professionally and personally, that keep you up at night, that cause repeating cycles of conflict and challenge? And I do think the gateway of looking at repeating patterns that drain and deplete us are often a place where we have shadows and places where we can reclaim more of our power. And so part of my role as a guide is to help you dig deep, to help you dig into the root of the influencing factors that are causing stress and anxiety or relationship conflict with, or even, you know, an increasingly short fuse that you're noticing with yourself or others. And my approach is somatic based, which means I help you to access the wisdom that lies within you. It's in your body. It's in your emotions. It's in your heart. It's in your mind. It's in your beliefs. It's in the shadows. It's everywhere. And, and rather than employing a fabricated construct onto you, I'm actually helping you draw upon the intelligence within you to help you gain the clarity of how you can become more integrated and whole. And in some cases, we may traverse the integral leadership assessment through exploring the six gateways of my power reclamation system. Or we may use, if you're an executive, we might use the approach of doing an initial assessment through conducting the leadership circle 360 profile that I referred to earlier, just as a springboard for launching directly into the shadow integration work. But each of these immersions, whomever this is with, is customized. And, you know, I will co-design this with you. We'll determine whether we have in-person retreat. We'll determine the whole scope of what we're trying to achieve together once I know where you are in your development and what it is that you're longing for. So if you do feel called, please make sure to submit your application before the final deadline. And there will actually be two waves of admissions because I'll have I'll have um, leaders starting in May, and then I'll have another starting in September. And they'll be they'll be um, you know we'll be meeting one on one, but you'll have homework, you'll have self reflection exercises, and we'll just be leveraging. Like I said, I think one of my superpowers is helping get to the root of why the reactive behaviors continue to repeat themselves, or why these shadows um, are staying in the shadow, and how do we bring them to the surface. And, and you know, really, ultimately, what I've learned the most is that to evolve, I have to grow comfortable being messy. And I have to feel safe enough to tell the truth about my behaviors, my motivations, even my beliefs. That's the only way that I'm going to be able to see beyond my limiting perceptions of reality and, and my impulses to protect. And I've learned by trial and error that to become the most effective change agent, I need to understand what aspects of myself that I've exiled. And I need to learn how to befriend them all. And this is why I've devoted my life to this professionally and personally, because for me, there's no separation between who I am with my clients and who I am in my personal life. It's kind of ironic because I was taught to be professional, not to be messy. But really, when I think about it, like how does hiding my own personal process or my ongoing growth edges serve anyone? How does it serve my clients or the systems we collaborate in? I can tell I've been talking for a long time. My throat is starting to get sore. So I'll just say a few more things here. You know, hiding doesn't serve anyone. In fact, I think it only further fuels our shame and it only fuels the egocentric narratives about ourselves that I talked about earlier. And, and these, these internalized narratives, you know, they become the fuel 
that's responsible for activating the protective behaviors of criticism and blame, shame, and self-doubt. And so, I, you know, to me, it makes sense. We establish safety by avoiding feeling inadequate, by avoiding rejection or feeling powerless. And yet the irony is that in order to evolve, we can no longer avoid our messy, reactive, and confused states. In fact, to integrate and live from our wholeness, we actually need to see them and we need to welcome them. And what I've learned is we don't need to approach these parts with an agenda to fix them or reject or judge them as these protective parts of us need to actually be honored. They have served us well. And, you know, for me, it's been an incredibly vulnerable journey to lead in this way. And it continues to be the most enlivening and confronting ride of my life because ultimately everyone is a teacher and a gift and especially the people that I feel triggered by. And as I've grown my capacity to meet these exiled and dark places in myself, I am so much more equipped to compassionately do the same for others. And I think this is one of the most fundamental tools of transformation that I'm able to offer to the leaders that I guide and support. Because I do believe that when we are seen, when we feel supported and safe, and we feel accepted in our most reactive states, that naturally and organically a new way of leading takes root. So if you're a leader traversing your own journey towards integration and wholeness, feel free to write me and tell me about what you're learning. What are you doing? Where are you struggling? And I'm always looking for inspiring leaders to host on this podcast so that we can find one another and share our stories. So here's to coming home, coming home to ourselves, to each other, to our oneness, and hopefully to a recalibration and a new way of being on the planet so that all the species and all the beings here can feel a sense of connectedness, nourishment, safety, and protection. I hope you enjoyed the show today. If you want more, you can subscribe to this channel. This will automatically queue up the next episode for your listening. If you have a burning question or topic you want to learn more about, please send an email to Ask Anne Marie. The direct link is located in the show notes. And please leave a review. This keeps me inspired and focused to bring you more. If you want to learn more about my work as a power reclamation guide, leadership coach, and organizational culture consultant, you can visit my websites in the notes. Thank you again for joining today.